This is episode 177. Today we learn about teaching content to MLs with a focus on math. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. If you don't teach math, please continue to listen to Adrian Mendoza's message in this podcast. The suggestions that Adrian will share in this podcast work for math, yet these are the same principles that can also be applied to all content areas. He will share how to apply the famous Sidelet 7 steps to a language-rich classroom to math, which then can be applied to all other disciplines. Now, on to today's podcast. I'm so excited and honored to introduce to you Adrian Mendoza to the podcast. He is part of the Silas team and recently on Twitter I asked for your table of contents for your book and someone responded. Her name is Fox, D.A. Fox, S-C-Z. This is what she wrote. I had just had the pleasure of attending a training of his, not about his book, but the seven steps. Best, most engaging training I've ever had in years. So with that introduction, Adrian Mendoza, bienvenido al podcast. Hello, Tan. Uh, how's everybody? So yes, I saw actually that tweet. Okay, and then you sent me a text message and I was like, okay, so let me send you first, make sure that you get a table of contents. And now that we're doing this like professional de de development with the seven steps, uh, it was just an honor to get to see that on Twitter, to cheer this out. Um, so yeah, now you have the, the table of contents. Now we can have this conversation, but we also know how the impact that we're having with other teachers in different places. Um, that's something, um, it was, it was just amazing to get to see that and to collaborate with, with you, everybody. Oh, that's an affirmation of affirmations. So <laughs> can you please briefly tell us a story about how you spend your days, when you, where you spend your days and your proudest professional achievement? Okay, so good. Now, where do I spend my days and how do I spend my days? First, I'm going to start like with something like a personal. So a couple of years ago, we you know, with the pandemic, uh, my healthy habits were not as good as I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they were just not good at all. So uh, now I'm going to be referring to uh, the book, uh, Small Moves, Big Gains, which wasn't out yet from Nancy Motley. But I started to make like some small moves in my life, okay? Just changing some habits and like, uh, I'm just gonna start like running. Uh, so I started doing some little things. I lost some weight, but also my mindset. of uh, Like uh, I was able, I started to recognize that I can do different things. So with those small things, I actually moved countries in the last, in the last year from living in the United States to living in Mexico. Okay, so now I live in Mexico. Uh, I'm still, I still work with Salis Education. So we, I go back and forth, travel back and forth. It's been, uh, I, I used, I can say I'm very lucky in being able to do that because I get to get the best from two different countries, from two different cultures. And that's just, um, yes, we, I'm just lucky to do that. Um, did, that re did that respond to the question? Yeah, where are you? Okay, so I'm in Monterrey, Mexico. So it's 
north of Mexico, very close to Laredo, Texas. People that are in America and the United States, there's where I'm at. It only takes you two hours to get from Monterrey to uh, Texas. So. Yes. What's your proudest professional achievement? Okay, so I think just working with, with Silas Education, uh, being part of this amazing team of, uh, uh, and I, I would like to call them one or two of them, but it's this is a big team, and I will I will not call on everybody. I I will just say uh, John Silas' uh, team. Uh, and yes, so working with them and yes, uh, uh, do, having the pleasure to work with them, to collaborate, to do the teaching math to EL, so writing with Tina Bean, and not just with her, but just with this amazing team. I think that's, that's, that's what I'm proudest of. And also I will say that I wrote this, we wrote this book, but I started writing this in Spanish and then we're changing something in English. So just writing a book uh, using my second language is what, something I'm also proud of because it was it was a challenge. So at first I was thinking one thing, writing in different ways, but writing a book in a second language, that's something we should be proud of. Multilingualism and multiculturalism is something that we should be proud of. These are assets that we should honor in our students and our colleagues. And you are the epitome of what we want our students to be like in the future, to be multicultural, be multilingual. You, you know, John Sidless and the team should also continue have, to have you writing that book in Spanish because there are also teachers who will also read in Spanish and then they, you could share that book as well. So that's another idea. Mm -hmm. and, and thank you for that. Yeah, and that's something like, like we're already here in Spanish and it took, us a, it, it took us some time. Like we're not there yet. It took us time to get this book out. And at some point, let's say we, we thought, let's first get it out in English. And then now that we have all this uh, producing Spanish, now we can start thinking on that. But that's that's an, uh, that's part of the plan. But um, thank you for pushing on that time. I appreciate and, that. And I know that your presentations are also in Spanish. You offer them in Espanol también. Yes, with usually with teaching materials and toma la palabra from Dr. Monica Lara. Yeah, and th that's a strong, that's a strong, like, toma la palabra, si se puede. So, yes, we transfer everything that we do in English to Spanish and si se puede. Dr. Lara has been on the podcast before and people have loved her, her podcast. Her energy is unparalleled. La mera, la mera, mera, la jefa, Dr. Monica Lara. Yes, she's la amazing. Jefa. La Reina. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the Dr. Lara. Can you tell us a story about teaching that has influenced your practice to this day? Okay, so the, a story, okay, real quick, people ask me, like, Adrian, you, were you in the classroom? Were you teaching? What was the best thing that happened? And now, usually, my common response is yes. I, was the, uh, I used to teach uh, fifth grade, sixth grade math and science. And I'll tell everybody that, my best year ever, ever, ever was my second year, okay? You know how you get started your first year and then you said, this is your, the second year is going to get super awesome? Well, my second year, okay, was my, <laughs> was my worst year as far as teaching. I made all the mistakes. You know how you get started with all this support from everybody? And then they said, yeah, now you're by yourself. And then by myself. Uh, I didn't have any like warm ups. I didn't have any like routines. I was passing out papers while students were like just talking, and I was like, "Oh my, okay." So, uh, but the, I think just having that mindset that 
from that year is where I was where I was like, Adrian, I talked to myself. Adrian, I need to start changing something. If I if I want to continue in education, I need to start making some changes, some routines. And I think from every single experience from that second year, I always think like, what can I do different? And every time I go now and support other teachers, I'm like, where was I then in that second year? Okay, what is one little thing that I can uh, provide and support for those teachers? Because now we work as, as coaches. I enjoy going also back into the classroom, but everything goes back to my second year where I made all the mistakes possible. Any mistake that you can think about, I did those ones. And I think I'm still doing mistakes, by the way. And if we're not doing mistakes as we teach, we're not getting better. And so mistakes are our uh, way. This is how we grow, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. There you go. And that's why it's my second year full of mistakes, lots of learning. Full of learning, yes. You mentioned the book. Every book has a seed. What was the seed for this book? Okay, good. So uh, when uh, when I started actually uh, in San Marcos, Texas, teaching math, at some point, uh, talking to my principal, Nikki Koniki, uh, uh, yes, and, she, and she's amazing uh, uh, in San Marcos in Travis Elementary. Uh, she did mention, Adrian, at some point, uh, doing professional development, we got to start sharing this out. So I started doing my own professional development, okay? At some points, I went to different places. One of the places where I went was uh, Region 13, where, uh, where I met Ana Matis. And uh, she was she was working there before she moved to Salis Education, and then and I did this uh, mad trainings with her uh, with uh, with, uh, with with Region Thirteen, and at some point she said, "Yeah, we gotta start sharing this out." So uh, we talked about creating a book. For me, it was like, "Do uh, do I get to do a book for this?" Okay, so for me, just having that uh, those connections. Making sure that we we can we know that we can share, okay, different support for teaching math to ALs, and then at the at the end of the day, I ended up with this awesome group of uh, uh, from Salis Education where uh, where we created everything thinking, okay, on what mostly first second year teachers might need to support math, okay, in the classroom for multilingual. Okay, also getting that differentiation piece. Okay, so I think that was the seed, just starting to tear out, expanding our, uh, getting out of our comfort zone was what was the main thing for, for me. So you hear that teachers, if you have a presentation that you constantly share, maybe that is the seed for your book. There you go. Uh, can, can you tell us why uh, math can be so challenging for multilingual students? Okay, so, uh, that's a good question. And I'm going to start with math can be challenging for us as teachers. Okay. I think that uh, sometimes sometimes we think about multilingual learners, like why is it challenging for them? But I think us as teachers, I think it's a challenge to teach math. One of the reasons is because math is evolving. Okay. Constantly we're teaching math in different ways, but most of us, okay, actually in my second year, and I'm going to constantly go back to my second year teaching. When I started teaching my second year, I was trying to teach the way how I learned when I was a kid. Okay, so this is how I, I was successful. Okay, but nowadays, okay, teaching math uh, in, in classrooms, 
And even in the standards, it says you get to teach providing these uh, visual representations and doing that. And those were things that I was not used to. Okay. Now, in addition to that, you get your multilingual students. You know, you have students at different levels. So we also need to think about differentiating in those math classrooms. Okay. So I think the challenge it's mostly the mindset and knowing like the way how we're teaching math. Yes, we can use some of the tools that we learned when we were kids, but we also need to be thinking about how can we keep those visuals because we did, I, by myself, I did not learn math with visuals. And then transferring these to multilingual, okay? Now, uh, there's some misconceptions about students in the classroom. Sometimes we think the fastest students are the smartest ones in the classroom. And I think with multilinguals, we also got to be thinking that process time will be important. Some of us, like if we come from a different country, from a different place in my math classroom, I think I'll say the biggest challenge is just being um, providing that way time for kids in the classroom and then respecting it, uh, their ideas. That'll be the main thing. What are the fundamentals of teaching math to MLs? That's one of your chapters in your book. Okay, so I think going back, the, uh, one day, Valentina Gonzalez, uh, she asked me about, can we teach math without teaching language? And, and, and I was like, no, that's not possible. Okay, so, and then she asked me, can we teach language without teaching math? And the answer was yes. So uh, going from starting with the language development, okay, so understanding that, yes, uh, kids in our classrooms, they're going to be using language. Um, I do constantly talk, usually talk about my daughters, Camila and Sophia, okay? So Camila and Sophia, and they're completely different. And in every lesson that I do, I think, can my Camila, can my Sophia, can they be part of conversations? And I'm going to transfer this to math. So I start a lesson in my classroom, and I'm I'm talking. Now, what if my Camilas and Sophias cannot be part of the lesson? They cannot talk about it. They cannot write about it. Okay, so how language, how visual sentence stamps and different scaffolds are gonna give entry points for our kids to be part of math language. And when kids stick to the language, now the content is gonna come in place. So I think the fundamentals, uh, we, we go back to language development, and that's also gonna be referring to the seven steps, shelter and instruction, and we can go from there. Would you talk more about that? That's how does the seven steps enter into teaching math? So seven steps. Uh, one day, uh, as, an, as an instructional coach, um, my quick story, Pam Thomas, uh, she was a principal of one of the campuses where I was working at Bui uh, in San Marcos. So she said, Adrian, you're, an, you're a math instructional coach. And she said, can you go and coach my teachers, but she said, can you teach all content areas, not just math? And I was like, I'm the math expert. And she said, no, you can do any other. And I was like, why? But she showed me, um, she provided me the seven steps book. And then I realized, and she said, these are the practices that you are doing in the classroom. So those are just structures that you're putting in place to make sure students use language in math classroom. But if you can do that in a math classroom, you can do it everywhere. So uh, with the seven sets, yes, we have some structure routines. I did mention, I did mention that my second year was the most horrible year. Uh, well, what I needed, I needed some structure. So even when we teach math, okay, just having structures in place to make sure 
kids uh, feel safe with step number one, like what to say if I don't know, especially in math classrooms. Some students are afraid, okay, of going to math classrooms. In math, I'll tell you that's the most hated subject. And the, one of the reasons is because like, I'm afraid to be there because there's things that I don't know. So even with step one, you're teaching the kids, it's okay not to know something in my math class. You're here, this is a safe environment. And then we're gonna make and then we're gonna start with some structures in place. And I think that's that's what seven steps provide. Okay. And at some point I know we'll time we can share a link about the seven steps. Uh I know we some of us are very familiar with the seven steps, but uh these seven steps starts with teaching students what to say instead of I don't know, and it ends with step number seven, structure reading and writing. And there's where kids are gonna be producing language in math classrooms. You gave us the first and the last one. Would you just list out the other ones in between? Okay, so step number two, uh, having kids speaking complete sentences. And we uh, we and we and work with uh, con consistent sentence stems. Now those sentence stems uh, help with differentiation uh, in classrooms uh, and they're at different levels. So that's also gonna help with multilingual learners. Uh, step number three, um, randomize and rotate. This helps, okay, with choosing, once again, your Camila's, your Sophia's. Typically in math classrooms, there's always one or two kids raising their hands that they know the answers. And there's others that I call like their ghost students. They go and sit there. And if we don't call them, we don't expect anything from them. They're going to go from classroom to classroom without saying anything, without producing anything constantly during the school year. And I think we can work for those students. And we can also label the equity part where everybody can be part of the classroom. Step number four will be the total response signals, okay? That also helps with process time, okay? Are you ready, okay? Do you need more time? Uh, step number five will be that vocabulary and visuals that support objectives. And uh, we use those visuals as an entry point with the objectives. Also, those objectives help to measure when kids are successful at the end of the classroom. So today I'm gonna to learn about this. These are your visuals. If, if you can do this, you are successful in my classroom. After that, step number six will be uh, the structured conversations, blah, 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 blah. The more the kids can talk, the better they're gonna be reading and writing and understanding the content, which is gonna be step number seven, which is structured reading and writing. I guess this is why you said that if you can teach math language, then you can teach the language in every content because these are things are applicable to all content areas. So let's set the stage for math. How do we do that? Okay, good. Um, one of the things, uh, once again, I'm gonna go back to the ways how we taught math before. Like this is how I was used to teach it. Uh, just having the mindsets in the classroom. One of the chapters of teaching math to ELs is, uh, mathematical mindsets. How do we get started? What's an entry point? Okay. Uh, I did uh, making research. Uh, there's Dr. Joe Butler. She has a website, ucube.org. And I started learning also about mindsets. Do you know how you get at some point where you do like, you start helping supporting teachers and at some point like, oh, I don't think my students can, can do this or how can we do this? Or this is a way how I teach math and this worked for me. So with these mindsets, I do uh, summarize this into three components. The first way it's uh, making sure that math is open and multidimensional. Just as we have multilingual learners, 
kids come with different ideas and we're going to provide different entry points for them. Okay. So just making that open, there's multiple ways to solve problems. There's multiple ways to see a content, a context in my classrooms. So we start with that idea. Okay. Uh, that's going to be our step number one from the cycle. And then after that, uh, math is visual. Okay. If students can visualize it, they can understand it. Okay, I'm talking to secondary teachers. I have my friend, Luis Sosa. He was a secondary coach in San Marcos. Uh, and uh, and he was teaching like secondary. And my constant question for him is, hey, Luis, how do you visualize that? And, he, and, and that makes us think, like, I don't know. And then we also, as teachers, that also make us think, okay, so I don't know how, what's the visual, but I can start thinking about it. And that led us into conversations which is step number three from the cycle, okay? So math is open, which is number one. Number two, math is visual. And number three, math is uh, conversations and connections. So once you have your visuals, now you can talk about it. You get excited. We celebrate success. Like, this is my idea. And students come up with like, oh, that's Tan's idea. And that's John's ideas. And then conversations come alive. And then math is open again and that's kind of the stages of the mindsets that we're that we are presenting that we want to encourage in those math classrooms also to bring that excitement for the kids it makes less it makes math more affirming and approachable to kids particularly the first one which is math is multidimensional so it's not there's not just one way to get an answer there's multiple ways there might be one answer but there are multiple mm -hmm. ways to get that answer so students a path to get to the answer is still honored. I remember you being on the podcast with Steve Sofronis mm -hmm. and you said comprehension is one visual away. Yeah, can I? Okay, so basically uh, we do have like how, how can we make content comprehensible? Okay, and we do have a list. And yes, some of our kids might be one visual away or one gesture away. Sometimes even uh, I do this in professional developments where I tell them, do you know what's a circle? And people look at me, I don't know what's a circle. And then I show them a gesture of a circle. And then they, oh, Adrian, you were talking about a circle. And I say, yes. And I was pronouncing, mispronouncing that on purpose. But sometimes kids might be thinking about circle with clowns because, you know, circle is circus. But if we do like one gesture, they might be that one gesture, one visual way one graphic organizer away from making that content comprehensible, okay? And when that's when content is comprehensible, now kids can start producing the language that we desire. Right. I always say that it's uh, there's the seed, which is comprehensible input, and then there's the output, which is the fruit. Boom. Okay, so I got it. So that's the product, the fruit, and it's everything goes out. So yeah, great way to put it there, Tan. <laughs> You were talking about circle and circulo, and it brought mm -hmm. me uh, to the to the thought of translanguaging. How do you use translanguaging with multilingual students? Okay, so once again, especially in math classrooms, uh, when I when I started teaching, this was a thing. I, I moved from Mexico to United States. Okay, and they told me, Adrian, you're gonna be working with bilingual students, multilingual students. Uh, they need your help. So I got into my classroom. And then I start noticing that most of the kids, their English, well, everybody's kids, their English was better than mine. 
I like, how am I going to help these students in the classroom? They're full there. I, I can hear them speak and everything sounds good. And like, so uh, then I started realizing how the academic vocabulary, okay, was not there. And there's where I understood that I was there for. But I did understand like uh, trans language, some kids were talking about different ways, some common mistakes. Okay, in the um, first language some, and second language. And you as I mentioned before, okay, at some point, Adrian, you have an accent. You, I don't think my my daughter should be in your classroom. And these kids are coming with accents, with mistakes that they're making. But we got to appreciate that accent, that accent, those mistakes that they're making. And we need to build on, on that, okay? So having an accent, making those mistakes from one language to the other one means that we're, uh, means that there's two different paths that these kids are following and we can work from there. And uh, Dr. Jose Medina, he speaks a lot, okay, about uh, trans languages. And he said, no te quito, te doy. I will not take anything away from you. This is how you use your language. I'm just going to be adding to your repertory. Kids come with repertories of different languages, and we need to use that in our advantage. Boom. What are your suggestions for delivering math content effectively? Okay, so once again, structures, having structures in place, I'm going to go back to the seven steps, but also having some like starting points uh, during teaching math to ELs, there's different chapters that we talk about, just having like even the warm up, okay, so how we start our lesson, okay, it's, it's basically we're planning, as you mentioned, we're planning the seed to get our fruit at the end of the lesson, okay, so Yes, starting with making content comprehensible. And we do start with what is the objective to be successful in my math classroom, okay? And there's where we start putting the visuals. Like if my kids don't know what's a circle, okay, today we're gonna be learning about circles. We put our visual, we put our gesture, making sure all my students at all different levels can be part of the conversations and the engagement, okay? So it starts with the, your warm-ups, with your objectives and math classrooms, and always thinking about language development. If I'm in a math classroom where my kids are not speaking, reading, listening, writing, and I'm teaching all the content uh, in, the, in that classroom, and I'm doing all the talking as a teacher, probably I need to start changing something to start getting the kids, first of all, to produce language, but then also getting them excited about being in your math classroom. Kids that are excited, kids that are safe, uh, the kids that want to be there are the ones that are going to start learning. And this is like a revolution. Think about a revolution like now I like math. Now my ideas are appreciated. Okay. And we're going to go from there. So once again, the chapter starts with the warm-ups, um, interactive lecture. How do we get kids to speak, to read, to write? And there's some different ideas to get them to, to do that. And yes, si se puede, si se puede. In, in math classrooms, yes, we can do it at different grade levels, okay? Even with your secondary students, oh, my kids, they will not talk. Yes, they will talk, they produce, and we can also get them excited. Si se puede. It always goes back to the teacher's mindset. Do they believe Boom. the students can? If they can, watch those students, they will perform well. Mm -hmm. So can you actually, so you just talked about content delivery. Can you paint us with a uh, paint for us a picture of what that might look like in a class? Like show a, a content that you 
like a lesson that might be taught in math. Okay, good. So we'll start uh, during the lesson. We'll start with the objectives. Uh, what are we? What are we learning? What are we learning today? It's it will all have a warm up. Okay. Once again, in every single aspect of this lesson, the warm up is going to be open. It's going to be with visuals, and it's going to provide opportunities for structured conversations. If we're familiar with talk, read, talk, write. Okay, so once again, going back to Nancy Muckley, okay, even before I start telling the kids something about my math content, if I'm talking about coordinates, okay, let's talk about this map, let's talk about some context. So we start with a conversation. Now, uh, the read part and the talk, read, talk, right? Uh, the read part is basically what I want to tell them. What I want to tell the kids is going to be something that kids can read. It can be one or two paragraphs. It does, this does not need to be like a three-page PDF. It can be like an anchor chart, okay? But just changing that uh, my talking to something kids are reading. After that, kids, uh, after kids read, the second component is talk again, where they uh, actually talk about what they learn. Um, they talk about the content. And finally, uh, write. This is in, in math, this can be looked like two or three uh, word problems where they practice what they learn or where they're writing something. So writing does not need to be, once again, two or three paragraphs. It can be drawing something. Just draw me your idea. Okay. There's where we as teachers, when we, we check for understanding and so we walk around. Once again, we celebrate students' ideas with that writing piece. We go back to the objectives. We look we, we look at it with the students and say, we, have we done this, this, and that? Tell yourselves you are successful. And kids, oh, I was successful today. And I was able to finish my sentence, Sam, and I was able to do this. And if kids are successful, uh, I, as a teacher, will say I was successful during my math lesson, and we're going to go from there. And I think that's how I envision like, uh, our math lessons with all the scaffolds that our multilingual learners need. I will make sure that my Camilas and Sofias can be part of every conversation in that math classroom. You mentioned writing and math. Can you actually talk about how you structure uh, academic writing and academic conversations for MLs in math class? Yes, we do have a section on, uh, in the math book about academic writing. And we also talk about the seven steps, which this is kind of, this is a last step number seven. Now, seven steps can go, uh, you don't need to go in order every time. But at some point, if we start covering all the seven the steps, the writing will be that, it will be the product of kids actually reading, talking, listening in the, in the classroom. Yeah. Now, writing comes with starts with some sentence stems in the classroom, which I also mentioned before. Uh, those also help with differentiation. Some kids will start with simple sentences, writing something, and that's okay. Once again, writing can also be something where kids are drawing something that counts as writing. And then there's some structures that we have, like the roving paragraph. Uh, Robin paragraph where we start with one visual, we ask kids to talk, they start writing one sentence, and then kids share ideas, and we build paragraphs, okay, with starting with only one idea, okay? We also have like tales from a graph, like, yes, we talk about graphs, and when we put those tales of a graph, kids are talking, writing about those tales of a graph, and we go from there. So there's some ideas about how we can do writing. 
Uh, I didn't put all the ideas for, uh, on the math book, but there's lots of books. And yes, everything, once again, as you mentioned, Tam, everything starts with the mindset. Once again, if I ask a teacher, said, oh, my kids cannot write, uh, I think that's going to be a challenge for the kids. But if we can set up that expectation, putting that scaffold in the classroom. Yes, they can write. In, in, they, yes, they can write. And they can use that to share their ideas, to communicate. And once again, share math love. Because math should not be a most hated subject. We need to start this revolution about, yes, in math classroom, we cheer, we write, we communicate, and we uh, we get excited. And getting excited is because they feel successful. And the, all the things you're doing help students feel successful. It's mm -hmm. like lowers the affective filter around math and it lowers the affective filter around language around math. Mm -hmm. So our second to last question, how do we design equitable math assessments for MLs? Okay, so Dr. Uh, Carol Salva, um, she constantly talks, um, she does uh, uh, with the objectives, uh, the annotating the objectives and writing down. So on the objectives, she uh, she talks a lot about exit tickets. Okay, so this is my exit ticket at the end of the lesson. This is going to be my writing piece, or this is what I'm going to be learning at the end of the day. Now, with doing that, it helps with two different things. First of all, it provides multilingual students with a focus on what the lesson is going to be about with all the scaffolds that kids know with those annotations. And second of all, it provides process time. Like at the end of the lesson, I'm going to be writing about this. I'm going to be solving about that. So there's where we start with those scaffolds that students need. And once again, uh, Dr. Salva, she talks about it. She's been amazing at delivering this and making this like a big thing because this is the thing. This is the thing. This is not just one more thing. So we start with scaffolding and those structural strategies are going to be the thing for everybody, not just in math classrooms, but everywhere. So once we set up the stage, make sure that all my Camila Sophia's can be part of the lesson. They know what the assessment at the end of the day is, okay? And I'm providing that process time, I can go from there. And then when we assess, yes, some kids might be barely, might be able to barely communicate their ideas. Some of the kids might find different ways and different paths. In every single activity, from the teaching materials books, we have this differentiation guide where where we mention, where we write, like, what can we do with our beginner students? What can we do with intermediate? What can we do with advanced? And I'm not saying, we're not saying that your advanced students are smarter than my beginners. They're just at the different levels of language. But we also need to make sure that we celebrate their successes as they go. And some, even your beginner students, they can come up with those amazing ideas. When you formative assess these students, you might get still one of your, your ideas from your beginners and share with your intermediate or advanced high because kids come with different places. And if we can make math multidimensional, okay, we, we the cultures are going to be aligned there. So, boom, I just got excited with this question. You, I think you got excited for the whole podcast. So. <laughs> You mentioned Dr. Lara, and I think of her, when I think of her, I think of her energy as infectious. And you are also matching her energy right now. She would be very proud of how you present with love and excitement and possibility for math, and particularly math for ML. So, okay, so yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's it's an honor time to be here. Here's my last question: um, Red light, green light, and yellow light. So, red light is something that you ask teachers to stop doing in terms of when teaching math. 
uh, yellow light is something is to tell them to keep doing, and green light is to start doing in terms of math. What would they be? These are very quick responses. Okay, boom. So red light, uh, make sure we don't celebrate kids being super uh, super fast in my classrooms. Process time, uh, process is more important than the answers. Okay, so that's my red light. Uh, yellow light, please uh, keep celebrating successes. Even small successes in my classrooms, keep celebrating those ones. Uh, and from students' mistakes, there's always a logic in every single mistake. So celebrate actually those mistakes as well. Green light, keep uh, start doing. Okay, and now what we're gonna start doing, keep uh, we're gonna start producing language, making sure kids can uh, talk, read, listen, write in my classrooms. So let's start doing that. And once again, keep that excitement for the kids in my classroom. Well, our friend on Twitter, her name is again, Fox, D-A-F-F-S-E-X, F-E-S-E-C. No wonder she said that your training has been the most engaging she's ever been in for years. So you've lived up to that reputation. Uh, Adrian Mendoza, thank you. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias, Tom. You're amazing. Keep it up. And uh, I'm too happy to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Gracias. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast. My invitation is to check out my three courses on English Learner Portal. One is on creating the conditions for MLs to thrive, one on teacher collaboration, and one based on my co-authored book with Beth Skelton called Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals. Now, on to our recap. Adrian mentioned how his principal asked him to be the math coach for all content areas. He pushed back and said, wait, my expertise is in math and science. The principal said, if you can teach the language of math, you can also teach others to teach the language of their subjects. That is a takeaway here. When we approach content instruction for MLs, are we first making it comprehensible? And are we structuring the speaking, reading, and writing requirements? If we do that, then MLs will find success in content areas, regardless of the content. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.